Well, scandal after scandal, headline after headline, the church in the West is in a terrible state. The church in the West is in decline. It seems like every couple months there's another story breaking, another headline news about another megachurch pastor that has abused somebody or has been caught in sexual sin, or there's been abuse of power, and if you haven't been hearing about these, I don't know where you're living because they've made the biggest headlines in our country. Maybe you've, perhaps you've stumbled across the rise and fall of Mars Hill Church podcast and you've listened through that. But this problem that we're seeing in the church today isn't a problem just in big mega churches, those churches that are over a thousand. It's also a problem in small churches. See, I know of several small churches that have something similar happen in them. The only difference is that they don't make national news. They might make local news. But the damage is the same. People are hurt. People are left broken and wondering, is there any hope in the church? And every time that I hear one of these stories, I think, no, no, that, that, that can't be true about that person, or no, not another one. Come on, guys, don't you understand what you are doing to the witness of the church? Maybe this is why you're not a Christian to here today, because you've seen the damage that the church can do. Maybe you've experienced some of that damage. Maybe this is why you left church for a while, and this is your first time back in a long time. And if that's you, I just want to say thank you for trusting us enough to, to come here. Or maybe this is why if you're a follower of Jesus, you're still trying to figure out what this all means. So not only do we have these, these headlines, these, these things rocking the church, we have the Southern Baptist Convention under investigation now by the Department of Justice in the United States for intentionally covering up 20 years of sexual abuse within the convention. You also have the Catholic Church recognizing that the role that it's played and abuse and scandals. You have the Catholic Church recognizing and apologizing for the role that it played in the Indian residential schools in Canada just a couple months ago. The church in the West is in a terrible state. It's not just the headlines. We also have pressure. Pressure to be in on the modern-day witch hunts. Last week, we talked about witch hunts. Today, we're going to talk about a different kind of witch hunt, a witch hunt about going after anybody who's ever done anything bad within the church or associates with anybody who's ever done anything bad. But that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus seeks restoration. It seeks reconciliation. So we have these witch hunts. We have these warring factions within the church, and it's tearing apart the church. It's ruining the witness of the church, and it's weakening those who would say that they are faithful. There's pressure from outside the church, pressure from people to to conform to society. There's pressure from the left to buy into the left narrative, to the progressive agenda, to ignore the parts of Jesus that don't quite line up with their agenda, to cancel those who hold to a historic teaching of Christianity, the teachings of Jesus, because those people are antiquated, they're bigoted, and they're out of touch with the real world. There's pressure on the right to conform to the agenda of God, guns, and America, an agenda that has more focus on America than it has on Jesus, uh, an agenda that ignores the parts of Jesus, that talk about taking care of the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the immigrant, that ignore the parts about Jesus, that talk about loving the least of these. But the thing that both the right and the left have in common is ignoring the parts of Jesus that talk about using your power over people instead of serving people. They ignore the parts of Jesus that talk about loving your enemy, that seek to make an enemy out of anybody who disagrees with them. And so there's pressure from those factions on the church and as a, a church, we have faced pressure as well, because you guys go home, 
You might come for an hour on a Sunday morning, but then you turn on the news, you listen to podcasts. And those things end up having far more impact on you than what we can have on a Sunday morning. And so when it came to COVID, we faced a lot of criticism. We, made, we had to make tough decisions, but we knew that no matter what decision that we made, that people weren't going to be happy, that we were going to offend some people. You see, as a church, as leadership, we were trying to faithfully follow Jesus because we wanted to do something for our community, not something to our community. But we had people that didn't like that. There were people that, that left as a result because they said that we weren't, we weren't uh, following Jesus. We weren't being faithful to Jesus because their version of Jesus was, pro, uh, was anti-mask and anti, anti-vax. And so they left. Because our, what we were trying to do in following Jesus didn't line up with the, the cultural pressure that they had experienced and that they, the narratives that they had bought into. So as a church, we weren't trying to faithfully follow the progressives. We weren't faithfully trying to follow the conservatives. We were trying to faithfully follow Jesus. You know, we receive pressure and criticism from people over our view of human sexuality. Because as a church, we hold to an orthodox teaching uh, and understanding of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And, and that's something that the church has believed for thousands of years. So we've received, we've received criticism from uh, people who would be more conservative theologically because they would say that as a church, we're too liberal when it comes to human sexuality. We've received criticism from people that would be more progressive because they would say that we are too conservative when it comes to human sexuality because we hold to an orthodox teaching of what Jesus taught when it comes to sex. So we've see, we receive pressure, there's division, there's, there's scandal, there's headline after headline. It can lead you wondering, what do we do? Where do we go? And as a church, our goal is not to take a side on issues, but rather our goal is to inspire you to follow Jesus. Our goal is to try to faithfully follow Jesus as best we can. It has its consequences. Because whenever we do that, it doesn't mean that we fit neatly in people's boxes. It, doesn't mean, it means that we don't fit neatly into the box of the left or the right. It means we're kind of misfits. Maybe we don't fit neatly into your box of what you want this church to be. But we're trying to faithfully follow Jesus because we know that if we take a side on an issue, whatever issue it is, whether it's a political issue or an issue within the church, that we're alienating about 50% of our congregation. So we're trying to faithfully follow Jesus because we exist to, to do that and not to prevent people from following Jesus. And if we give in to those different factions, if we give in to the discouragement of the headlines, the Apostle Paul would say, aren't you acting like mere humans? The answer is yes. Yes, we're acting like mere humans and not the the humans that we are called to be that Jesus invites us into. So today, we're going to look at how kind of the church got the state that it's in today and where we go from here. And where do we go when there's headline after headline? When there's scandal after scandal, where do we go when the church is divided over politics? When the church is divided over really silly theological issues? Where do we go when there's pressure from outside the church and pressure inside the church to conform? And so today we're going to wrap up our series by looking at those things. Because I believe that the church is the hope of the world. I believe, as Jesus said, that he would build his church and that nothing could stop it. Not even the gates of hell can stop Jesus' church. And so perhaps, perhaps there's a way forward in the midst of the darkness and in the midst of the discouragement. Perhaps there is, and maybe at the end of the day, we can find hope together, hope that can only come 
from Jesus. And last week, we touched on the fact that Jesus talked about that there are people that claim to follow him, but they aren't actually following him. And today, we're going to look at some of the other teachings of Jesus uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, his, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. Jesus said this, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Some translations say, aren't you worth more than many sparrows? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin or thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned as one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and the next day it's burned up in the furnace, won't he do much more for you? Oh, you have little faith. So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Jesus is saying, look, don't worry about tomorrow because your heavenly Father cares for you. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Why do you worry? Why do you strive? Why do you, why do you search after all these things? Stop your worrying. Stop your striving because your heavenly Father knows what you need. Not what you want, what you need. The things will actually truly satisfy you, so stop striving. He says this, for the Gentiles eagerly seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. The Gentiles seek after these things. That is the pagans. Don't act like pagans when you worry about all these things because the pagans are, they're concerned about simply pleasing their God, about wearing the right clothes, about eating the right food and doing all these things simply to make their God happy and please their God. But you're not called to be like a pagan. So why do you worry about these things? Why do you worry? Because your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows what you need. And he continues on in his teaching. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Seek first his kingdom, his kingdom that comes from above, his kingdom that is not of this world. Seek first that kingdom. You see, that kingdom is supposed to be foremost. It's supposed to be your utmost priority. Seek first that way, that kingdom. Seek first his kingdom, not your kingdom. We're supposed to be about seeking that kingdom, not building our own kingdom, our own empires, but seeking first his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I talked about his righteousness earlier, not our righteousness. You see, we have our own standards for things. We have our own rules about how we want to live our life, but yet we can't keep our own rules. And so when it comes to God, when it comes to faith, God has his own rules. And if we can't even keep our own standards, how are we going to keep God's standards? But yet Jesus came down, took on human flesh, and has given us his righteousness. The technical term is called, he imputes his righteousness to us. That it's a, it's a legal term, it's credited to us. But it's something that's stamped on us. He gives us his righteousness, not our own righteousness. Because elsewhere we learn that our righteousness is as a filthy rag. That it's worthless. That we can't do enough good stuff to come up to the level where we need to be. So God came down to give us his righteousness. So seek first the kingdom. His kingdom, not our kingdom. And his righteousness. 
And if we do those things, then Jesus said, you'll not have to worry. Don't worry if you're living that way. And I know some of you might be thinking, okay, well, what does that have to do with the state of the church? Well, so much has gone wrong in the church in our own lives when we seek after our own way, when we seek our own kingdom, when we don't trust God's way. When we toil and spin instead of trusting that our Heavenly Father is going to provide for us. Instead of trusting Jesus to build his church, we say, we're going to build it. We're going to build our kingdom. And Jesus is just shaking his head. Guys, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. That act of righteousness is, is worthless. You need my righteousness. See, so much has gone wrong when we, sail to, when we fail to seek God's kingdom first. So much bad happens when we think that it's up to us to try to build the church, when it's up to us to do everything, and that God actually doesn't play much role in it. He's just a nice add-on at the end. And it leads to people being misused. It leads to people being abused. It leads to, to a church becoming about a cult of personality instead of about Jesus. It leads to a church looking at yeah, but look at all the good that we've done. Let, let's not ignore, the, let's ignore those things over there. Let's look at all the good that we've done instead of the good that, the, that God calls the church to. Now, don't get me wrong. The church should be seen doing good. Jesus talked about that. He said, do good works so that people may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But when we use our works as our righteousness to cover up and justify abuse, and we're doing what Jesus did not intend us to do. We're building our own kingdom, a kingdom that will not last. And Jesus said, not so with you. If you are my followers, seek first my kingdom. It's not your kingdom, not your way. It's my kingdom. Because God is faithful. God is faithful to his promise to build his church in nothing. Not even the gates of hell can stop it. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth and trying to help them to figure out how to apply the teachings of Jesus in their lives, he was writing to a church that was divided on many issues, divided over communion, divided over baptism, divided over who was better, Paul or Apollos. It was a church that was celebrating the fact that somebody in their church was sleeping with his stepmom, and they thought that was a good thing. The Apostle Paul wrote to that church to help them navigate this tension of how do we apply the teachings of Jesus. He opens his letter to the church, his first letter to the church at Corinth this, this way. He says, I always thank my God for you, that because of the grace that, of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to pause right there because you might be thinking, okay, Paul, how can you thank God for those people? Those people that were doing all those things, that were dividing, that were intentionally splitting apart, that were celebrating sexual immorality. How can you celebrate those people and thank God for them? Don't you know what those people have done? Paul continues on. He says that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech, in all knowledge. Basically, Paul's saying, look, the reason why I can thank God for those people is because God has showed them his grace. He's showered his grace on them and giving them gifts of all speech, and all knowledge, that they were enriched in Jesus already. So in spite of the things that they are doing, I can still thank God for them because they are still doing some good. Because God has poured out his grace upon them, so who am I to disparage these people, to speak badly about them? So I'm going to rather thank my God 
for them. Continues on, he says that in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you did not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, that, that the gifts that God has given you testify to the fact that you try to follow Jesus, that God's Spirit is living in you. And later on, he'd go on to talk about how they were now abusing those gifts, but he was thanking God for giving these people these miraculous gifts, the gifts of the Spirit so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you wait eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's where we want to land, because he will also strengthen you. He will strengthen you. Not you will strengthen yourself, but he will strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, because God is faithful. God is faithful even when you are not faithful, because you were called by him into fellowship with his Son, that as you were called by him into a close relationship, into a partnership, where now you get to go on mission with Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord, God is faithful. It's not that, that we can be faithful, but God is faithful. And God will do this thing that he promised. He will bring about his purposes, his plans. He will bring about the promise that he made to build his church, because, not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful. Not because we are strong, but because he will strengthen us. He is strong. Implying that we are not strong enough. That we can't do it on our own. That we need to be in partnership with Jesus. We need to be on mission with him. That God is faithful even when we're not. Even when we try to go our own way. Even when we try to build our own kingdom instead of seeking first his kingdom. That God is faithful even when we try to build our own church instead of letting Jesus build the church as promised. God is faithful. This is something that we have experienced as a church uh, in launching Hope Community, the incredible faithfulness of our Lord Jesus. See, we've seen God be faithful in providing us with a small team. We've seen God be faithful in providing us with the finances that we need. We've seen God be faithful in providing us a building. We've seen God be faithful in the fact that we still have a congregation after COVID. We've seen God be faithful that I mentioned our finances earlier that this year we can pay off the remainder of our loan that we have in this building. So that's something to celebrate. God has been incredibly faithful. God's been faithful even when we've made decisions that looking back on them, we're like, what were we thinking? That was a terrible idea. God is faithful. And if God is faithful in that way, how much more will he be faithful in your own life? As you seek first his kingdom, as you trust in his strength, Paul continues on later on in his letter where he's trying to settle a dispute between uh, who is better, Paul or Apollos. And he writes this, that no one can lay any foundation or in that that has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. That is that we can't lay any other cornerstone other than the one that's already been set by our Heavenly Father. And that cornerstone is Jesus. No one can lay any other foundation. For if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each, work, each one's work will become obvious. That if we try to build any other foundation, lay any other foundation other than that which God has already established, Paul says it's, it's going to be worthless. Implying that it's foolishness, that each one's work, the things that we try to do, will become obvious. Because the day will disclose it. Because they will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. 
Because testing will come, Paul's saying. Look, it might not be literal fire, but a metaphorical fire will come that will reveal the, the strength of that other foundation. It's going to come crumbling down because it's built on sinking sand, but we have no other rock. Because God is our solid rock. He is our chief cornerstone. And that fire will test the quality of each one's work. Fire is a picture of, of purifying, of revealing in Scripture. And it seems like maybe that's where we're at today in our country, where the headlines, the scandals that are breaking, or perhaps God's effort to bring about a cleansing, a purification of revealing somebody's actions to try to build on another foundation, of laying another foundation that was not Jesus Christ. You see, for those who seek their own way, it's not going to end well, the Apostle Paul says. He says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's temple, that you are God's temple, and that the Holy Spirit dwells in you? And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that is what you are. God has given us his righteousness. He has given us his holiness. And so if anyone tries to destroy the temple, the new temple, the Jesus gathering, that's not made of stones, but made of human beings, Paul says that God will destroy him. And I know that might seem harsh, but the way that God has set up the world to work is that every one of our decisions that we make comes prepackaged with a set of consequences. That's just simply how God has set up the world to work. And sometimes those consequences are good, and sometimes those consequences are bad. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life. Looking back, you know, hindsight, it's 2020. Like, man, why did I make that decision? Because it did not turn out the way that I was hoping. Because our, con- our decisions have consequences. God has set up the world to work in a certain way. The writer of the book of Exodus, Moses, talks about this, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he wouldn't let, that let God's people go. But then later on, Moses writes that Pharaoh, or that, yeah, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So which was it? Was it God hardening Pharaoh's heart, or was it Pharaoh hardening his own heart? And the answer is yes, because of how God set up the world to work, that every decision that we make comes prepackaged with a set of consequences. So yes, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, and yes, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. And whenever we make decisions that are about building up ourselves, that are about building our own way, they come also prepackaged with a set of consequences. And the Apostle Paul says that they will be revealed. They will become plain. They will be made known. And sadly, many in the church today are seeking after their own way, their own kingdom trying to lay a different foundation, a foundation that the Apostle Paul said will not last. Trying to build a foundation out of their own strength instead of trusting in the strength of the one who is faithful. But ultimately, Jesus says that those things will not last. In the the Russian novel, The Brothers Kiramazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky, if you haven't read it, uh, I highly encourage you to, to read it or listen to it. It's one of the most beautiful pieces of literature. If you like literature, it's a good book to read. But in, in the Brothers Karamazov, there is this, this story called the, the Grand Inquisitor. It's a beautiful illustration of what's happening today and what Jesus calls us to do. See, the, the story of the Grand Inquisitor takes place during the Spanish Inquisition, where in this town, there's, um, the, the bishop is called the Grand Inquisitor, and they're about to have a funeral for a little girl who has died. And Jesus shows up on the scene as the girl's being carried into the church. 
And the crowd recognizes Jesus. And they want Jesus to do a miracle, and he raises the little girl from death. And the Grand Inquisitor begins to, to get on Jesus and, and tell him that he was not powerful enough, that he knows exactly who that he is, and that Jesus should have given in to the ways of the devil, the things that they, the devil tempted Jesus with in the wilderness. And he has Jesus arrested, and then at night, the Grand Inquisitor visits Jesus but Jesus doesn't try to defend himself. As the Grand Inquisitor is standing there telling Jesus that tomorrow they're going to crucify him all over again. Because Jesus wasn't powerful enough. And he won't be powerful enough to save himself again. And Jesus just simply bends down and kisses the head of the Grand Inquisitor. And it's this beautiful picture of the grace of Jesus. The grace that we need so much in our life. It's a picture of the church in the West today that many have sought after what Jesus rejected, the power and fame and authority, because Jesus just simply didn't know better. See, that's the way that we, that we should actually get ahead, is by, by seeking after the things that the devil said, I'll give you all these things. But in the end, it leads to death and destruction, and Jesus was wise not to choose those things. See, we have many seeking to build upon a foundation that will fail, a foundation that will burn up, as I said. And in doing so, these people end up rejecting Jesus. Sometimes we end up doing that because we think that Jesus was not powerful enough. We think that, that we know best, that we can build a better foundation than what Jesus has already laid. But Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful to always save a remnant, to preserve, as I, the prophet Isaiah says, the holy seed that will grow forth and, and bring about God's kingdom. God is faithful even when we were not, even when we reject Jesus because we think that Jesus isn't powerful enough. Instead, Jesus bids us to bend down, to kiss, to wash the feet of those that are doing us harm and doing the church harm today, not to cancel those, but to seek restoration, not to, to shut out with those with whom we disagree, but rather to seek reconciliation and restoration. You see, instead of seeking to work through things, now we seek to cancel everything. We seek to cancel institutions. We seek to cancel people. And so instead of, of building things back up, we end up tearing things down. If somebody did bad, one bad thing, tear them down. If somebody did one bad thing, cancel them. If somebody associates with that person, cancel them. And so we go about canceling and tearing down institutions. Failing to recognize that eventually once we tear down those institutions, we'll have nothing left to tear apart except humanity itself. And it seems like that's where we are. We fail to recognize that the reason why those institutions do bad things is, is because they're made up of human beings. Human beings that, as Scripture says, that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Yes, human beings, we're capable of incredible good, but we're also capable of evil, of doing bad things. And sadly, many today are rejecting Christ because we think he wasn't powerful enough. We try laying a better foundation, a different foundation. Atheism is alive and well in the church today. It is. Because there are people that don't actually want what Jesus offers us. But people want a different way, a version of Christ, a version that didn't exist. A version that says that if your, your political party can get you what you want, then go after it. That if your political party can get the right laws passed in order to save you or to make your life better, then go for it. 
And if that's you, then Jesus is of no value to you. You're laying a different foundation, a foundation that will be burned up. But Jesus did not come seeking power because the power was already his. It was given to him by his Father in heaven. So we have no other foundation. Because seeking our own fame, our own fortune, laying another foundation, trying to do things out of our own strength and our own righteousness is failing to trust in the God that is faithful and the God that has laid a foundation that will never fail. It's rejecting Jesus, our risen Lord, who is obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And so as a church, where does that leave us? Where does that leave us in the midst of the headlines, the scandals? We've looked at how the church has gone wrong, where we've gotten it wrong. We recognize that we are all one decision away from doing some of the same things. Because the decisions that we make come prepackaged with a set of consequences. Let's be humble about how we judge other people and recognize that we are capable of doing the same things. And so as a church, we are here to inspire people to follow Jesus. We're going to keep striving. We're going to keep running after Jesus. And we're going to get it wrong at times because we're made up of flawed human beings. But that's where, as you as a body, you can help hold one another accountable, hold us accountable to be faithful to Jesus, the one who was faithful. See, we exist to inspire you to follow Jesus, to inspire you. That is that we can't make you follow Jesus. We can't force anyone to follow Jesus, but we can inspire people to follow Jesus by how we follow him, by the way that we live out his teachings, to follow Jesus. We don't, you to, we don't want you to follow a version of Jesus. We don't want you to follow progressive Jesus or conservative Jesus or fundamentalist Jesus or social justice Jesus, but we want you to follow Jesus. We want you to follow Jesus, not become a Christian, but follow Jesus because Christianity has, the word Christian has so much baggage in our culture today. And so we go back to what the New Testament refers to Jesus followers or Christians as, as Jesus followers. So we want you to follow Jesus. By how? By engaging in the life and the mission of Hope Community, by engaging. That is, by, by being in community group, by being part of this church, by, by giving, by serving, by taking next, next steps to grow in your faith. By engaging in the life and the mission of Hope Community. See, the mission of Hope Community is the mission of every church. It's the great commission that we see at the end of Matthew's account of the life of Jesus. For Matthew writes this, quoting Jesus, that all authority has been given to me, talking about Jesus, on heaven and on earth. So go therefore into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember that I am with you always to the end of the age. We're here to do that. We're not here to cancel the churches. We're not here to divide over theological issues. We're not here to take a partisan stand on issues. We're not here to, to try to make, you know, our church look good and prop up our church, but we're here to make the church of Jesus Christ look good. We're here to inspire people to follow Jesus by how we live, by how we love, and by how we serve. And you're invited to be part of it. You are invited into that beautiful church, that church that gets things wrong, but a church that is built upon a foundation that will never fail our firm foundation. You're invited into a relationship with a God who is faithful even when we are not. To trust in him. 
and you are invited to be part of it, to engage in the life and the mission of the church, because there's no other greater mission, I believe, than the mission of the church. And we want to invite you to engage in the life of the church right now. We've got community groups starting in two weeks. Uh, Community groups are our way of uh, gathering throughout the week, where we navigate the intersection of faith and life together. We gather together, we encourage one another, we pray for one another, we open the Bible, we laugh, we cry, and in doing so, we are spurred on to grow in our faith. I myself have developed deep relationships and friendships because of those relationships that I've found in community group. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to try it for yourself and to step into community and see what could happen to engage in the life of the church. There's going to be a QR code on the screen right now. And if you hold your phone up over that, you can scan the code and sign up for a community group. Uh, you can, if you aren't comfortable doing that, you can go to the back to HC Connect, which is the Woodwall area after the service, and see Jen back there. And she can help you sign up on the hopecommunityonline.org kiosk in the back. But we want to invite you to engage in faith, in hope, in the church. Because if in spite of the headlines, there is hope forward in the midst of the darkness. And so when it comes to the state of the church today, we need to seek Jesus first in his kingdom. We don't need to lay another foundation because there is a foundation that's already been laid. And perhaps in doing so, we can inspire people to follow Jesus. And so at this time, we're going to close in prayer. We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together that talks about seeking first his kingdom, not my kingdom. His righteousness, not my righteousness. So would you pray this with me? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.